Blog Talk Radio. It's December 9th, 2018. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-host Jeff Brown. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. Okay, announcements. One, Working for a Living radio show continues to support Medicare for everyone. Two, Working for a Living radio show continues to support the end of corporations being considered legal citizens in the United States. Three, GM Oshawa plant has begun a campaign to save their jobs. We wish them the very best, and we'll be in touch with them on how to do more for them. So, um, four, GM Fort Wayne has announced it will hold a strike vote on December 12th, 2018, regarding wage matters. More on that later in the show. Five, FCA has announced it will convert the idled engine plant in Detroit to build Jeeps. Six, General Motors CEO Mary Barra stated that she will decide product allocation with the help of her union partners. More on that later in the show. Number seven, Mark Janus. Remember Janus versus Ask Me in the Supreme Court and that decision that was anti-union? Well, Mark Janus was introduced at the conservative, at the conservative, at the conservative, notice I said conservative, American Legislative Exchange Council also known as ALEC, A-L-E-C, their conference in Washington, D.C. last week. He was hailed as a conquering hero. It has become clearer and clearer that the terms conservative and anti-union are synonymous. And we, union members, better start figuring that one out, all of us. Announcement 8, Working for a Living continues to wish the leadership of UAW 1112 and the community leaders surrounding Lordstown the very best in their efforts to retain and attract new work for the area. And that includes keeping General Motors there in a significant way. Number 9, this week marks marked the 10-year anniversary of the closing of the GM Janesville, Wisconsin plant, sadly. A number of people that are longtime supporters have had to move all around the Midwest to retain their work, and we continue to support and bless them in all of their efforts as they move around. It's not been easy. There's a number of us that have had to do that over the years, just not in from Wisconsin, and they travel a long way, not just 60 or 70 miles like a lot of us. Uh, 
Okay, uh, that concludes the announcements. Email and messages. There was one overriding email and message this week that came in. Uh, a lot of people, PMs, emails, uh, open statements, messages, in all manner of um, venues, texting, and it boiled down to this. I'm appalled at Mary Barra calling the IUAW her partners. And again, that came in from all over the world. Uh, so we'll, we'll stick with that one. It's kind of uh, underwriting all of our uh, discussions here uh, tonight on the show for you. By the way, thank you to all of you listeners. Thank you to all of the email writers, the message writers, text, everything, uh, for uh, contacting us. We appreciate that. Uh, and thanks to all the listeners. We we really appreciate that you come and listen uh, every show, and a lot of you are going back and checking the archive shows, so we really appreciate that. Thank you very much. This week's definition <laughs> it seems so appropriate. Business partner. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Just a second. <laughs> business partner. He's getting a kick out of it, too. <laughs> the term business partner can have a wide range of meanings, with one of the most frequent being a person who, along with another person, plays a significant role in owning, managing, or creating a company. We'll keep that in mind as we go through our reports here this evening. And it's significant. This week's quote also related in a little manner here. And we know the author here and quoted quite a, quite well. The quote is workers work and management manages. To ask workers to do the duties of management undue burden on the workers. That was Walter Ruther that said that. I think he would say the same thing today, so we'll echo his whole theme, echo his thoughts on this particular matter. Okay, let's bring let's bring Jeff on. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Tonight? I'm okay, Leroy. How are you? I'm good. We're doing good. Uh, lots, lots of stuff going on, you know. Uh, uh, I got called uh, early yesterday. I guess it was maybe late uh, Friday, and I left yesterday morning early, uh, and uh, was asked to uh, participate in uh, the uh, um, investigation of a. Uh, Union insignia that had been uh, stolen off another piece of literature and/or recreated and placed on somebody's flyer, and the printers think that this person or group of people are the scum of the earth, and uh, they're they're really not happy. Uh, so. I just had to sit and listen mostly, and uh, they're they're not happy. Uh, and I think they're going to take action. We'll see. We'll see. I know there's some people that were uh, called 
called out on this earlier. Uh, I'm not doing any calling out, but I'm just noting that people are getting uh, getting their their brain cells together on this, and uh, it should get interesting real soon because some of these people that following their hero, uh, you know, ought to choose their heroes wisely. <laughs> There's, you know, I mean, there's all kind of people out there, you know, groups of all persuasions. And, you know, that's why I and working for a living and Jeff and a lot of us, uh, part of your group, uh, don't attach ourselves to any of these other groups because they all have uh, their own discipline that's not ours. So. But it was interesting to get called out of town to do that. So I I uh, uh, stopped off and saw some friends in the area afterward, so it wasn't a wasted trip. I got some old friends. One of them, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I get a kick out of some of these old union people, you know, my friends that I grew up with as a kid, you know, late teens, early 20s, on through life. Uh, when I stop over to this fellow's house, Jeff, uh, when I pull up, I usually stop a little short and I toot the horn a little and I'll pull up a little more, not much though, and then I'll get out of the car, kind of stand with my door open, standing in the doorway of my car, and yell at him and say, hey, Hey, I yell his name. It's me, Leroy. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. <laughs> He'll yell at me. It's okay, Leroy. I won't shoot. <laughs> All right. And then only until I do that do I approach his house, his little cottage he's got. And I'll tell you something. There's people out here that way. And, you know, I call yeah. them. They, Running around, we call we you know they keep on a chain, you know. So there's you know I don't I don't know what to think. I mean, there's some of these people ought to be real careful about what they're doing because good union people take exception to some of their actions, you know. So and corporations and people and such like that. I don't know. Uh, just uh, I just stand by keeping score at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeff, how's your week going? I mean, that's part of my week. Uh, my week was busy. Um, helped a friend who had surgery. Um, she'll be off work for six months. Um, drove her to the hospital and back home from the hospital. Um, my first full week of retirement, I was a little busy. I had to pay for it this weekend. Uh I was just exhausted. So uh, that was how my week went, anyway. Okay. Well, you know, th- I want to yep. first uh, let me thank all the visitors and listeners in the, the switchboard. I really appreciate everybody being here. It's real nice. Um, so um, also, uh, Jeff, you know, I mean, when you helped your former coworker, your, your, now you're, you know, uh, sister member of your local union, you know, that that's always a pretty good feeling when you're able to assist somebody like that, isn't it? Did you get a little, you know, satisfaction out of serving 
you know, your your friend who's also a member in the union? Yeah, that's that's way I've always been. Whoever you can help, I offered, and sometimes they accept my help. And I've always been that way, even as a little kid. Um, you know, we, I grew up moving around the country, state to state, and we always seemed to live next to a little older widow who was living by herself. And, of course, snow comes down and they can't shovel. So I shoveled everywhere I went. Shoveled their sidewalks and driveway and to the porch just in case there was a medical emergency and somebody had to be inside the house. Um, that's the way I've always been. That's what uh, helped me through the 31 years of the plant. It's always willing to help out. Well, the membership was sure, sure uh, better off for your service there at your local union. You know, a lot of people say that about you. I know, uh, you know, the other two people that lost their membership when you lost your membership here a year or so ago, a year and a half ago now, they took it from you. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they always speak highly of you every time that they, you know, talk to me about you and any of the others that I've had any contact with on Facebook or other other ways from your local, Jeff. I mean, you're, you're highly thought of and well-respected there because you care. I've had other people tell me, I, I don't care about that. And, you know, that's kind of sad. When you think you want to aspire to, to represent people and organizations and humanity and our life, and you come right out and say, I don't care. That's that's something that bothers me a lot when somebody does that. It's not just, you know, the benefit of the membership. It's benefit of communities, humanity, and, you know, our earth, you know. I mean, you know, it's just glad people think so highly of you, and I'm glad to have you on the show. I, I know you bring a lot of value. You know, people don't hear what we talk about the week to develop what the show is, you know, and and uh, I'll, I'll really, I want to take a second just to thank you, Jeff. I mean, I know a lot of the listeners do as well, so thanks for everything you do and have done. Thank you, Leroy. Um, well, I want to thank you for your special friendship and guidance over the last few years. I truly appreciate it. Um, well, that's, that's what I think, you know, people are supposed to do is help each other out. And, you know, that's the way I've been, I wouldn't say raised, but that was always been my belief as a kid. Um, I've always helped people. And I right. continue to help people. Yeah. You know, and and distinguishing factor about you is, you know, in addition to a lot of the other people out there talking loud, uh, the uh, most haven't been elected like you have, Jeff. You've been actually elected and had to be held account to the membership on a daily basis. And until you have that on a daily basis where somebody's life is in your hands, you know, it's it just distinguishes somebody 
in ways that others that haven't cannot be distinguished by. Uh, I've said over time that anybody that's associated with us has to have had, at least at the leadership level, has, should have had uh, the notion that they've been elected in some manner. Not all have been elected, and uh, but until you do, it just changes you. It changes your mindset. You're all of a sudden responsible in a bigger way, more than even a parent, because you're you know you you got a few kids, you know whoever has got kids, it's important. But when you have somebody else out there that you don't have the control of raising them and you know, encouraging your children to go to college or better themselves in a trade or whatever so that they can have live a have and live a, a good life. Uh, you know, when you become responsible for people that you many ways don't have control over, you didn't have the ability to help them become this or that. They're your peer in the workplace. And their livelihood is dependent on your success as their leader. It, it's it's a different thing. And unfortunately, we have people in our leadership in our union that have no idea about what I just said. And that's sad. Because yes. they're all... Real sad. Yeah, their only only purpose in leadership is for their own personal gain. <laughs> you know, we talked about this came up through the week. <coughs> Pardon me. We we talked about the videos last week and and the first video that I discussed was at the lower level of the executive board person that pointed to the UAW wheel and said, look, there's the UAW wheel. See the people around it holding hands? Paraphrasing. The thing that the fella, they were all men, so I'll uh, say that. But the thing that the fella did not say, he didn't say, look at our wheel. Look at our wheel. See, he hadn't taken ownership of being a union leader or of the membership. And said, look at our wheel. Our wheel represents people in unity and solidarity standing next to each other all around the world, all around that circle of a gear which kind of represents the world. Our universe as workers, whether it's the world or the company we work in or the the conglomerate of com 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 companies that we work in. So I, I, we're just different, I think, Jeff, you know, to that end. There's a lot of us out there like that, that care, truly do care, a lot of us. But there's a hell of a lot of them up in leadership that don't, and that's sad. So, well, <clears throat> anything else going on in your part of the world? Um, Fat Rock was laid off last week, so they go back to work tomorrow. 
Um, other than that, um, people are a little worried about what's going to happen when April comes around when they cut, cut one shift out of our plant. Uh, but everybody's going to have a job, except for the TPTs. And that's, in my mind, is very disgraceful. Um, those people had worked every day for the last four or five years. They're going to be out of a job soon. And uh, I blame the UAW for allowing that to happen because that is their job to make sure these people had a job every 90 days, full-time job for 90 days. Um, so that's what's going on in my world, Levi. Yeah, that's what, that was negotiated many years ago to prevent exactly what's going on right now. And mm-hmm. the current leadership has given that away. They're, you know, yeah. they're one and the same. The ones that just retired in the last cycle or two are contributing even today to the to the mindset of what's going on. So it's just sad they negotiated this away in the 15 agreement. They added stuff in there that took away the seniority for 90 days. And, of course, the 17 agreement, or the 07 agreement, I apologize, the 07 agreement under the leadership of uh, uh, Cal Rapson in the General Motors arena, and I believe they were target that year, cut, you know, all of that seniority, pension, wages, worst contract ever. It just destroyed our union. I see him every now and then. I actually say hi and then look at him with disgust, and he wonders why I'm doing that. Saw him in a baseball game, local baseball game. Yeah, that was just amazing to run into him because I, I really have disdain for him at this point. He was after one thing, and it was horrible that he was successful at doing that to us because they found his his weakness and they, you know, they exploited it. So, yep. uh, yeah, just sad. Uh, so anyhow, um, uh, you know, uh, you said earlier in our conversations that, you know, the salary people are being affected more than the hourly people is at it at Ford. Yes, that's correct, Leroy. Um, Ford is looking to move some people around. And so April, my plant's going to lose a shift. All of the hourly members will be transferred to either Michigan uh, Assembly or Livonia Transmission. So they're Ford is only looking to lay off salary people. And one way of doing that is we have had over for years the National Employee Service Center, which keeps track of our testing and our 401k and our health insurance and that kind of stuff. Um, At the end of this month, they will no longer be around. Ford is going to another provider to watch the employees' 401ks 
Um, that's a lot of people. And with me be, being retired now, they are really slow with the paperwork. And you get the feeling that they just don't care anymore. And I can't blame them. They're losing their jobs at, at Christmas time. Um, yeah. That's bad for anybody, whether holiday or salary. It doesn't matter. Anybody lose their job at this time of year, uh, it's just sad. Right. So, do you think? Do you get, are you getting any indication at all that they're going to try and give special dispensation to the TPTs or not? I have not heard either way. Um, hopefully, our new regional regional director Chuck Brown will help out. Get these uh, TPT something, you know. They couldn't run without all these TPTs. Um, right. When this announcement was made, the next day on the day shift, um, a lot of TPTs didn't even come to work. We had a four-minute town hall meeting where we were just told that plants go into one shift and. Uh, People will be going to uh, one of the other plants that have openings. And the TPTs were quite vocal in that meeting. And I can't blame them. Um, tonight shift, as I walked out of the cafeteria, out of the meeting, and somebody threw a chair and got escorted out by the police out here. So it's uh, just very disgusting with the UAW right now. It's leadership. Not the membership, the leadership. They're the ones that are controlling this, as they always have. It's um, not good, you're right. Yeah, I know. No, it's not. GM is. No, I mean these, these people ought to be given hard. some kind of. You know, if we have any influence at all with Ford, GM, and Chrysler, you know, mm-hmm. we're on this radio show, we we would ask that you be humane to these TPTs. Because this is just wrong that they've been working for half a decade. And it's one thing to get laid off and get the opportunity to get, you know, pulled into another plant as you test your seniority. And it's a completely different thing when you're just thrown out the door with no, not even a return right to your own plant, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. We're at, right. You know, I mean, that's, that's just wrong, just simply wrong. And somebody needs to address this. They need, if they, you know, they're all out there writing these damn MOUs, Memorandum of Understanding, to destroy this union. Start writing some here and get these TPTs taken care of. You want to be partners? Partner up like that. Man and woman up. Do your job. Represent us to the best of your ability. I ain't seen it happen. So, uh, Jeff, you want to go ahead on the uh, uh, Constitution a little bit? I know you have a few sections there you had you wanted to talk about. Go over. Yeah, I'll do uh, two sections. I know we have a lot to talk about, and we really yeah. don't want to go as long as we did last week. Um, so we're on Article 16, Section 13. 
and this talks about dues and strike funds and those type of items that the membership really doesn't have much control over. Article 12, Section 13, for any month in which the net worth of the International Strike Fund and Defense Fund is in excess of $500 million, the International Union Strike and Defense Fund will allocate the portion of dues income received in accordance with the Section 5 of this article as follows. Here's the following. 90% of the dues income received by the International Union Strike and Defense Fund pursuant to Section 5 of this article will be rebated back to the local union's International Union General Fund with 53% of such fund rebated to the local unions and 47% of such fund rebated to the International Union General Fund. The rebates referenced in this subsection will be issued on a monthly basis. B, 5% of the dues received by the International Union Strike and Defense Fund pursuant of Section 5 of this article will remain in the International Union Strike and Defense Fund to be used for the purpose of paying strike assistance benefits said to striking members. In any month in which the actual strike assistance benefits paid to striking workers is less than 5% of the dues received by the International Union Strike and Defense Fund, the difference will be rebated back to the local union and the International Union General Fund in the same proportion described in subsection 13A above. Rebates referenced in this section will be issued once a year as a 13th rebate check. Um, Section 14. For any month in which the International Union Strike and Defense Fund's net worth falls below $5 million, the rebates referenced in Section 13 of this article will stop until the International Strike Fund net worth reaches $550 million. Once the International Strike and Defense Fund's net worth is in excess of $550 million, the rebates referenced in Section 13 will resume. And we'll do one more with this, just one sentence. Section okay. 15, local unions must be in compliance with Article 16, Section 7 of the International Constitution to receive rebates. And we'll stop right there, Leroy. Um, we've got a lot of other information we want to get out to our listeners. Um, right. Especially with the GM announcement. So, um We'll call it quits for there, and we'll pick up next week. Okay, let's let's talk about this just a little bit, though, Jeff, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, this this is kind of important. You know, there's people out there that say, well, the union's got all kind of money. We can do anything we want. You know, I mean, people can take actions that they can do anything they want. You know, and there's even people out there that have sued the union, and according to the UCLA, uh, so that everybody understands this, according to the UCLA study, the uh, class plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit typically get like 12, I think it's 12.4% of the total of the total uh, award. So in the case of 
a $300 million award, each one of the plaintiffs would receive some $37 million in a $300 million award. But more importantly, that would take us below the five, was it 550 threshold, right? 550 yeah. million, you just, mm-hmm. that it yep. takes us below the threshold. All of the small local unions, arguably under a thousand each, wouldn't have enough money to function any longer and likely lose their ability to exist any longer. Because it takes money to run these local unions. And the small local unions depend on those rebates. And if we lost 40%, arguably, of the small local unions under 1,000, that's a lot of people. That's not just General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler that we represent. You know, and these unions, you know, they need money to rent a facility to even if, if they don't have a hall. They need money to represent, to uh, uh, rent a hall, rent a facility to represent the members by having a union meeting. Just just holding a union meeting is expensive. you got to have somewhere to do it. You can't do it in the plant. You can't do it under a tree in inclement weather. you got to have somewhere to hold it. And, the, the, you know, without the rebates, you know, these these unions just can't function because there are certain things that are required to, to do as well. By Constitution, they're supposed to participate in sub-councils and, and things, such things as that. So, you know, anybody that thinks these lawsuits against union are a big good thing, you need to rethink that. Because you're about to kill the whole UAW. You really you really need to think about what you're doing and who you support. Okay? So that part of the Constitution is critical to today's activity in our union. If that fund goes below 550, oh, yeah, we'll just suspend them until it comes back. A lot of these small unions are on the edge as it is. They don't have a big war chest. So, anyhow. Yeah, enough said about that. You got any thoughts or comments on that, Jeff? You're, you're absolutely right, Leroy. Um, the first, first four or five years of our local, we actually had to rent another union's hall to have our meetings. Um, We did rent an office space in downtown Flat Rock for the president, the treasurer, that type of stuff. But we had to rent out the hall of local 387, I believe it was, the Woodhaven Stamping Plant. I remember being in those meetings for six, seven hours on Sundays in the early years of our, our union. Um, but you're right. It took a big hunk of money away from us because we had to rent that hall. And we had a lot of good activists back then. 
most of them are now gone. Um, but you're right, it does cost money. And well, yeah, and you know, I mean, yeah. you know, even even renting, you know, a, a room. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it. Yeah, you, know, you you can't go to a restaurant that you can't. It doesn't cost you, you know, a hundred bucks to, or or you have to. Uh, 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 guarantee a hundred dollars worth of food that's purchased at, at your meeting, you know. And that's, this ain't about eating. This is about, you know, a lot of, quite frankly, a lot of members can't afford to go out and eat. You know, they have to eat at home. They bring sandwiches, stuff to work when they go to work. So um, let's let's get on to some of the other stuff, that, you know, that we have here. And like you said, we don't want to run late today, so we'll kind of keep that. Uh, as close to the eight o'clock time as we can. Um, one of the things that uh, we highlighted in our posting uh, was the uh, uh, 158, 29 USC 158, and uh, that's um, kind of an important part of the whole union process. Okay. It's part of the Wagner Act. So that's the part, that's the act that allows us to exist under the law. And believe it or not, when you elect legislators, legislators that are not union friendly, you know, you're you're really <laughs> To jeopardize in your own well-being, and it's just you know it's kind of a a, a thing you don't want to do. Now, uh, you know you can do what you want, but I, uh, if you cut your own hand off despite your 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 well-being, I, I don't know that that's in your best interest. So this week. As you know, and Jeff and I are going to go back and forth on this a little bit, but for now I'm going to just break it down real, real, uh, in a real way. This week, the president, or the CEO of General Motors, said that in the process of product allocation, she will work with her union partners. And we, it, you know, the Internet, from where I'm at, blew right up. It just, you know, everybody was talking about, we're not partners. We're not partners. You know, we're adversaries. Okay, we're not partners. And that's the problem. You heard me talk about last week about the new union. That's the problem with the new union. They forgot that they're adversarial. Okay? They simply forgot that they're adversarial. And we need to be adversarial. The idea that we're partners with the corporation, while it's a nice thought, it's a good idea, and everybody gets to have happy moments with them and and such things, but in the end, in the end, the represent, you know, as we represent members, we have a different point of view 
for the business than business owners do. We have an obligation by a Supreme Court decision to make the most money for their stockholders as they possibly can. Now, because of dead peasants insurance, we don't think that they're doing that, but we believe that they're trying to get it off of our back to make up the difference, in our opinion. So, you know, that's not necessarily adversarial. Not adversarial at all. So we need to get to an adversarial posture. The uh, law itself is pretty clear. It says, uh, and I'm bringing it up here as we go through this, uh, 29 U.S.C. 158, Unfair Labor Practices. I'm going to quote it right out of the book. It's posted on our Working for a Living page. We post a lot of things there that uh, are of value for our listeners. But, um, uh, 158A says, Unfair labor practices by an employer. It shall be an unfair labor practice for an employer, hyphen, one, to interfere with, interfere with restrain or coerce employees in the exercise of its rights guaranteed in Section 157 of this title. I'll break that down in a second. Two, again, this is unfair labor practice by an employer. To dominate or interfere with formation or administration, administration of any labor organization or contribute financial or other support to it, provided that subject to the rules and regulations made and published by the board pursuant to Section 156 of this title, an employer shall not be prohibited from permitting employees to confer with him during working hours without loss of time or pay. Now let's break that down a little. First of all, Let's go over here to 157 so that you all understand about 157. This is commonly called your Section 7 Protected Concerted Activity. And it's titled, Rights of Employees to Organize, Collective bargain, Bargaining, Etc., Etc. Jeez, I got, people got me saying that. I'm a stickler about Etc. because it is E-T-C-E-T-E-R-A, not ek etc. Okay. Um, it's just a real stickler with me. I'm sorry. Uh, so it says, employees shall have the right to self-organize, to form, join, or assist labor organizations to bargain collectively through the representatives of their own choosing. Implicit in that is they bargain for their own interest right there. Okay, and to engage in other concerted activities for the purpose of purposes of collective bargaining or mutual aid or protection, and shall also have the right to refrain from or all of such activities except to the extent that such right may be affected by an agreement requiring membership in a low labor organization as a condition of employment as authorized under Section 158A3 of this title. Let's 
USC. You can spin around in the labor code and in, in, in the USC as much as you want. Uh, but that just says the, the the last part of this says that you don't have to belong to a union unless there's an agreement that says you have to. Okay, and now they're they're frogging around with states' rights about right to work. Some 34 states have got that. I think maybe 33 now that, thank God, Missouri stopped it. So, uh, so you know, it's arguable if they're if they have uh, violated Section 7 protected concerted activity. Okay, because they've allowed us. Isn't there infinite? wisdom and, and magnanimous abilities to organize and be certified by the Department of Labor. All local unions have their own certification. Okay. Uh, so uh, that came up this week a little bit, but we'll get into that later. Uh, so let's break down this, go back over here. That's A in 158A. Somebody just pinged me. I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, 158A only talks about, you know, our concerted rights. Uh, and so that's uh, not being violated necessarily directly here. However, you know, you got to ask yourself, are they dominating or interfering in the administration or contributing support to the administration of our union? Those are questions that you have to ask yourself when you break this 158A2 down. And the question becomes, what, what? Oh, somebody sent me a message. What does the union bring? What does the union bring to product allocation? Jeff, what do you think the union brings to product allocation? Uh, well, they like to uh, whipsaw one one plant against another. That's one thing, Leroy. Um, the union, you know, management has a right to put any product in any of their plants, but the union, um, they basically back off. Um, every once in a while, they will stick their hand in and recommend something um, to the companies, whoever they're dealing with at that time. Um that's basically what I, I know of, Leroy. Um, yeah. Well, you're whipsawing. I mean, the corporations have, for a long time now, then uh, mm-hmm. and we should probably. Do you want to define whipsawing so that everybody understands what that is? We had a lot of people see this. Sawing is. Um, forcing the plants to compete against each other for product, whatever management can get the most out of what plant as far as cost, delivery, 
um, to make such product in that plant, that's the one they'll usually put product in. Whoever comes in with the lowest bid, um, it used to be in our national agreement that we would not work saw one plant against the other. And since the 07 agreement, they don't even mention that anymore. Um, that's when um, everybody went to a competitive uh, local agreement instead of a traditional. Competitive is the word they're using now in the Ford world, at least, to whipsaw one, one plant against another. A competitive agreement in their local as a local contract, and there's been a lot of them going around. Um, we've seen Ford plants closed down since up 2007. Um, I'm sure we had GM plants and Chrysler plants closed down for the same thing, but it was for many decades. They could not, the company could not whipsaw one plant against another in our contract, a national agreement. And now since 2007, we have this competitive agreement. And that's what whipsaw is about. Whoever comes in with the lowest bid is the winner. They get that product. Right. And they'll give away break time and... Uh, wage classification. They'll say, "Well, we're, we're, you know, this classification over here pays X, and we'll create a new classification that pays X minus ten percent." That kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's all so, about the money. Yeah, it's all about the money, and we have a national agreement, and we shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. I know that Lansing. Uh, Art Baker was the chairman at uh, 652 in the, in the uh, 90s, uh, late 90s. Well, he's been there. He was there as chairman from the mid-80s. But in the late 90s, he, he had kind of a totalitarian mindset, and uh, he went in and gave the farm away. I mean, he gave up break time, okay, all manner of things. He farmed out. Uh, well, he didn't, but subsequent to him, it was farmed out uh, the, uh, all of the maintenance for the buildings, you know, mowing the lawns, and, you know, snow removal, and <coughs> salting the, the facilities. And all of this reduced the costs in Lansing, and they took work from Lordstown back then at that time, and Lordstown people aren't too happy about that. So that's whipsawing at its finest. And now everybody wants to outsource everything so that they can be the mm-hmm. bid person. And then they use this uh, BOQ uh, stuff where you have to be a uh, BIQ, BIQ, I guess it is. And they have to uh, have a BIQ of four in order to attract work. And that is, you know, the quality versus the cost uh, and everything, some sort of formula that comes together and they come up with a number. 
And, you know, it's, it doesn't seem to be uh, objective. It seems more subjective and arbitrary because the people that get these lower scores are going, we're working our tail off here. What? How is that going on? So when the when the uh, corporation makes its decisions on product allocation, first of all, you know they're worried about having eighty percent capacity utilization in the facilities. And here we got Chrysler. We announced it that they're they're going to convert a, a plant and start new work in in, in Michigan and Detroit area. They're going to start a new mm-hmm. assembly plant. So they're selling their cars, their Jeeps. And it's rumored that Tesla wants to buy one or more of General Motors' facilities, wherever they may come available. And it appears that, you know, Tesla's selling some some uh, vehicles. That one little plant of theirs made $3 billion, and General Motors has, you know, arguably 60 or more plants around the world. Not all of them are assembly plants. And they made $10 billion. Now, where'd all that money go? I know we have dead peasants insurance. Are they getting that kind of money out of dead peasants insurance? That's that's where they purchase life insurance on retirees as a benefit, as a benefit to the executive suite. And when the retirees die, that money goes into the retirees' executive fund. Mark Fields had a, a pension fund of $858 million, and I gave a speech. I think I mentioned it last week, too. I gave a speech about that. He was fired 21 days later. So somebody's taking a lot of money out of these corporations. And, you know, maybe they ought to take a look at that. But it seems to me that there are people out there more concerned with running the company in an effort to get dead peasants insurance, a goal to get dead peasants insurance before, and that's money that's revenue in all kinds of ways that never hits the bottom line profit. If a little company like Tesla is making $3 billion a year, and by God, General Motors is only making $10 billion a year, you kind of go, what happened to all the rest of that money? Now, it's a question. So if you're running the corporation to receive that kind of money and not running it as an auto company ought to be run and getting market share, you've lost market share arguably every quarter since the bankruptcy. We've been below 20 forever. And we were at 52 at one point. You know, there were hundreds of auto companies. Only three large ones survived. They called At one time, they were called the big three. And they got so complacent with their market share. Somebody told me, we got hands for every steering wheel and ass for every seat. <laughs> That's what they said in the mid-70s. Yeah, I was buying a new car every year at the time. And, yeah, that spouse, she needed a new car, and I needed a new car. And of course, I had to have a sports car in addition to that. So 
I was buying a new car a lot. We made a lot of money. We had buying power back then. Boats, snowmobiles, cottages. Yeah. And young, under 30. All kinds of money. Working for an auto company. And today, today, a lot of us working for a living are going to the blood plasma place to augment our our wages. That's sad. But if they knew how to run a company and get beyond the 80% and above capacity utilization, they wouldn't have any problem. They're not out to grow the corporation. They're out to shrink it. And as you shrink it, so become the problems of pensions, health care, all the benefit packages for active and retired. Because you shrunk it so much, you can't even make enough money anymore. And, of course, there's that thing, dead peasants insurance, that not just the auto companies, but all the Fortune 500 that have any complement of retirees, contingent of retirees out there, are using for the benefit of the executive suite. And you can find them all up in places like Bay Harbor in Michigan. You go up there and you can see, you know, CEOs of just about every corporation, the retired vice presidents are all up there. You know, they all, all of them, not just there, but the places like it. You know, you walk on the property and it smells like money. I walked on there last fall, a year ago, last fall, or fall of 17. Took a friend of mine there for dinner at a place called Legs Inn. It's right on the river, and it's a Polish place, real nice food. And um, we stopped by Bay Harbor on the way back. And my God, it's just, I mean, I felt so out of place, Jeff. I was so out of place. It's just unbelievable what the kind of money. And they're all three, four hundred millionaires. You know, the damn cottages, little apartment there. Little apartment. You know, $800,000 for a small apartment. Just for an apartment. The house is on the water there. They used to be consumer's power now consumer energy dump they have a great deal of effort they spend millions of dollars cleaning the water every year of course that that's part of their association fee they have no problem paying it that's pristine crystal clear water crystal clear everybody's got a 10 million dollar boat the houses are between 10 and 20 million dollars a piece How are they getting that money? They didn't used to have that kind of money as an executive of an auto company or executive of a larger company. They lived well, but now it's over the top. They think they own these companies. They just work there managing them. They work for the stockholders. And we're going to start informing some of the stockholders about what's going on. I don't think they're going to like it one bit. Not one bit. Now, this whole thing about whether corporation is partner with the union to whipsaw plant, again, the question is out there, 
What does a union have to do with the decision? What do they bring to the table? The decision of who gets assigned work. You know, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, about four miles from Lordstown. One of the places I live is probably about three miles from Lordstown when I was younger. And I went to three different schools there. I moved a little bit, not a lot. And working for a living caucus had as our treasurer on the slate somebody from Lordstown. We're opposition caucus. Progressives for change, as we say every week on the radio show. Now Lordstown, within six months, as a convention, five, five and a half months, was noticed that they're going to be potentially closed and they're without product allocation. Yeah. So when you think about the leadership of our union, by the way, during, just before the convention, they merged two local unions so that the effect was the retirees, the the entire retiree contingent from one of the local unions could not run for office or vote for delegate. And that was shortly after it came out that I was from Youngstown. And I had support from Youngstown for our caucus. Now, just what does the leadership of any union bring to the table on product allocation? Yep, going on. I don't. I don't know that they much of anything. I don't want to go long here, Jeff, but I'm going to wrap it up here in a minute. I don't know that they bring anything but their own political agenda. Because the company, under paragraph 8 for General Motors, and that's called a management rights clause, it's founded in old English common law about property rights and ownership rights, and it's in every union contract. Property Rights Clause, it's called. It gives the company the right to assign product any way they damn well please to do. The only thing the union brings to it is a political aspect, because we are a political organization. And if the union is given management status in product allocation. I ask you, the listeners, does that violate management's 
obligations under federal law, Title 29 U.S.C. 158 et al., especially one and A1 and A2 that I've read to you earlier. Does that violate that? Is the corporation giving the union something of value or supporting their efforts? Because the only thing the union has in this is political agenda in assignment of work. They don't collect one piece of data on their own. While they may be given some, they don't collect one piece of data about quality, cost, efficiencies, nothing. It's the corporation's job to assign and allocate work under their own agreement with us. So, with that said, what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Do you think we have a political agenda at, at some level? By the way, this conversation that we're having as we can consider what our union brings to the table in product allocation is protected concerted activity because we're allowed to criticize our union as long as we don't supplant them. We don't have any idea or intention to supplant them. And we're not a bunch of communists here, and we're not a bunch of felons here either. This caucus has nobody like that in it. So, Jeff, what are your thoughts on what a, what a union brings to the product allocation aspect. Um, I just keep thinking about the uh, Chrysler Training Center scandal that's hitting, hitting the news so hard the last year or so. It's just, um, I don't know why, but the 2015 contract had been uh, in Chrysler's view. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're selling jobs, weren't they? Uh, yeah, they're selling jobs for one thing, yeah. $3,000 a person for TPTs. Um, that was happening. We know who was doing it. We won't mention it again, but we know who did it. Um, and there was a lot of interaction between the vice president's office of the UAW Chrysler head and the head of labor relations of the Chrysler Corporation. You know, gifts were exchanged, money was given. Um, we talked about it over the last year. They don't bring nothing. The union don't bring nothing. File number. Um, it's sad. Very sad. I know. I know one vice president stood out in front of Chrysler, 10 mile, told him, if you don't accept these alternative work schedules, there's a long line of people that will come in this plant and do that job. He's dead now. Yep. 
Yes, he is. That was that is or was and, uh, the mindset by virtually everybody because everybody got auto or got these alternative work schedules, and it cut down the cost. That's another thing they cut down the cost. They don't pay any more weekend overtime anymore because of it. I mean, down you know in in Ford, one of the I'm not going to tell places or names here. I got to be careful. Uh, one of the Ford plants, they have a shift that goes in on days on Thursday. I'm sorry, days on Friday, days on Saturday, afternoons on Sunday, afternoons on Monday. So you have starting times all over the board. But they don't, they're just regular 40 hours. They work 10 hour days. That's Friday, Saturday days, Sunday, Monday nights. And they don't pay overtime. Okay, that's one of the ways they whipsaw us. Because they've cut their overtime costs down. As long as they're running the plant full speed, 100% capacity, they can do that. Now, this particular plant, Ford plant, they're going to have a cutback after the first of the year. So they're, everybody's, you know, angling and, you know, looking for where they're going to land. So, anyhow. Uh, Jeff, you know, I know you don't want to go long, and we're 10 minutes after now. So um, let's just wrap it up and say you need to think about this membership, okay? The UAW membership that's listening to this radio show needs to listen and consider what we've said here tonight regarding the federal law, unfair labor practice by a corporation, and they have them for unions too, and the same language is essentially there as well, no discrimination, stuff like that. Uh, uh, so uh, as we consider whether this is even legal to have a union that's a partner in with the corporation for product allocation, uh, we need to all consider what, what, what it is. I know what it is, and I know what I'm going to do about it. And you can rest assured that I'm going to do something about it. And it's not going to be pretty at all. We are not partners with the corporation. We are adversaries. Our interests are diametrically opposed to a corporation's interest. They're obligated by Supreme Court law to make as much money for the stockholder as they possibly can, and we are duty-bound to represent our members in the very best interest of the members, as we say at the beginning of every show. And that's not being done. But there's things that can be done about it and I'm going to do it. Stay tuned. All right, Jeff, you got anything else to add? No, sir, you did a good job. Um, well, we kind of got it out there. We, we're just educating right now. We have a, a little opinion, and we'll see if our opinion sticks to anybody else's opinion. All right. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners around the world. Thank all the Listeners in Canada, we're going to reach out to you here this week, try and see if we can help. We're 
in contact with the Lordstown people. We're trying to do what we can to help them. We want to thank the listeners in Mexico, all of North America here, because we're all kind of joined at the hip somehow. We need to raise everybody up so that you in Mexico become a consumer company rather than just a, a builder of product. And I want to thank all the non-union people wishing to be union people here in the United States. Remember that conservative and anti-union are starting to be con- become synonymous, and that's something that's really scary, seeing how there's so many conservatives in the union movement. At least they think they are. And I want to thank all of our union brothers and sisters in the other unions in the United States. Thanks for listening. And, of course, our beloved sisters and brothers here in the UAW. Thank you for listening, and thank you for all your support throughout the years. Coming up on four years now. So good night, listeners. Good night, Jeff. And everybody have a safe week and get your holiday shopping done. A lot of parties going on and stuff. Everybody be careful and drive safe. Good night, everybody. Good night.